Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Gun's first reboot review, an occasional podcast where I'll be taking a look at the second iteration of DC Comics' The Legion of Superheroes, whose adventures began in the number zero issues of two titles, one called Legion of Superheroes and the other Legionnaires. This all began in October 1994. This version of the long-standing team of super teens battling for good in the far future continued through various titles, miniseries, and guest spots, enjoying a healthy run by the time the series The Legion ended with number 38 in October 2004. During their remarkably exact decade in the spotlight, this particular group of heroes became my very favorite version of The Legion, and I feel like nowadays this period of Legion history it's a short shrift, kind of like it's the 31st century Jan Brady, stuck between everyone's favorite, the original Legion, which first saw the four-colored light of day way back in 1958, two years after Marsha Brady, Maureen McCormick was born, proving to be at times a hugely popular DC property. And the more recent third incarnation of the team, the Cindy of Legion history, sometimes called the Three Boot, dreamed up by fan-favorite writer Mark Wade and artist Barry Kitson. This interesting take on the team had its fans, but the whole concept was blown up in favor of a rollback to the quote-unquote original team sometime around 2008-2009. Now I love all the Legions, and it's kind of strange that it's not strange at all referring to the team, the concept of the Legion in plural. Now, I don't want to get into a major history lesson, that's not really the main thrust of this podcast, but suffice it to say, the Legion as a concept has lent itself to, or been the victim of, maybe, the occasional reboot, a complete retooling of the team, or the reality which the team inhabits. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. Taking place a thousand years in the future, might make sense that the major time-slash-reality-warping events that happen with such regularity in whatever passes for the present-day DC Universe might have an effect on the future of heroism. The side effect of starting from scratch is the potential alienation of an existing fan base. And I've got a feeling that such an alienation was quite a real concern faced by the creative people behind the decision to reboot the Legion of Superheroes back in 1994. I can see why they might want to try it. The Legion over its 35-year history had been allowed to grow up. The stories being told in 94 featured a more mature team operating a dark, dystopian galaxy. The bright, shining examples of interplanetary cooperation that the Legion had been decades before were almost completely gone, though glimpses showed in a companion title called Legionnaires, which featured a time-duplicated team which had been held in stasis since they were teenagers. See? Concepts gotten difficult to explain, and I'm a big fan. Perhaps it was seen uh, as a time for rebuild. The agent for this reboot was a little crossover event DC had brewing called Zero Hour in which some nasty individuals were threatening existence by collapsing time from the beginning and the end, simultaneously erasing the past and the future. Almost needless to say, the Earth's heroes put a stop to the bad business, but there were casualties. The entire 30th century timeline of the Legion of Superheroes was shuttered after the team met a noble and heroic end, and a brand new set of possibilities was allowed to unfold. 
Now, the Reboot Legion was nowhere near my first exposure to the team, but it did become, as I said, my favorite version. And it did so for a couple of reasons. First, it was during this run that I became a regular reader. It was the book or books on the stands when I first gained employment in retail, and I was able to fork over the bucks for my own comics. I had some familiarity with the characters already. Um, I liked a few of the team members quite a bit, but it was during this 90s run that I got to know them intimately. Also, I feel that the spirit of the Legion was best captured and most fully realized during this time. At its peak membership, it was the diverse team of young people and beings from many different planets possessing many different abilities, fighting for peace and unity, and pointing the way toward intergalactic cooperation that it was always meant to be. The Legionnaires themselves, though teens again, were allowed to grow a bit. Their personalities were developed further than ever, I think, during this time. The curt-driven and sometimes downright rude Brainiac Five, my favorite character through the years, coexisted on the team with total sweetheart Spark and Monstrous, the courtly-mannered Censor, and the revolutionary Gates. It felt like a true legion, not only of superheroes, but of people, and snakes and things. Not the large group of brown-haired white guys that the team sometimes resembled in the past. I plan on slipping in bits of background information throughout this series of podcasts, and when necessary, comparing the issue at hand with previous continuity, but I really want to focus on the material, which I think for the most part stands on its own. A bit about the format of these recordings, the issues I'll be recapping in this particular episode are Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires number zero, which coincided with DC's line-wide zero month, where books could either deal with the ramifications of the zero-hour event, begin with a fresh start, as in the Legion's case, or launch outright as a new title. Hey there, Starman. I'll never understand why, but the two Legion books didn't start out with new number ones, as it seems like nowadays it takes much, much less than a complete reality-warping reboot to get a number one issue on the shelves. But they just continue the numbering of the old series. One change, however, was that after number zero, the two titles were linked pretty tightly together by plot. Pre-Zero Hour, Legion of Superheroes starred the adult team while Legionnaires focused on the adventures of the teenage time dupes. Beginning with a clean slate in issue number zero of each title, the story flowed in and out between the two, and for the first time on a regular basis, the titles were meant to be read together. Which, when I think about it, is pretty amazing. The Legion supported two titles for a solid seven years. Anyway, as such, each episode of Reboot Review will cover an issue of Legion of Superheroes and an issue of Legionnaires. I'll be squeezing in annuals, specials, and guest spots where and when they occur. So without further ado, let's travel back to the dawn of the future. The story of the Reboot Legion begins in Legion of Superheroes number zero, which I recapped once before a few months ago on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, in a post spotlighting the Legion artwork of Stuart Immonen. I'm going to go through it here one more time in podcast form, but I'll provide a link on the site to that previous post for the sake of the images that I like to include highlighting favorite panels and pages. 
Legion of Superheroes number Zero's credit box is filled with several holdovers from the team's previous incarnation. It was written by Mark Wade and Tom McCraw, penciled by Stuart Immonen, inked by Ron Boyd, lettered by Bob Pinaha, and colored by McCraw. Book was edited by Mike McAvinney and Casey Carlson, all under a very iconic Immonen Boyd cover. A story called Time and Chance begins with the dream of a memory. Three red-headed youths are hot-rotting through space in a tiny cruiser. Mecht and his younger twin siblings, Garth and Ayla, notice they've run out of charge, and so they set down on a little planetoid called Corbel in order to formulate a plan. Ayla, the most level-headed of the three, suggests uh, luring the native lightning beast weird rhinoceros-looking things to the ship and using their natural sparking ability to jumpstart their ride home. None of them notice the sparking beasts creeping up behind them, and zzz. Garth Rands wakes up in a dumpy hotel room, a runaway on a mission just in time to catch a shuttle from his home planet Winneth to its next stop, Brawl. There, teen celebrity athlete Rock Crin and his manager Cuspin en route to a Magnoball tournament on Earth board the same shuttle, but not before giving a local reporter a demonstration of his native magnetic abilities. Seated fortuitously next to Garth, who turns out is earthbound to find his missing brother, the two become friendly. The shuttle is boarded next by rich industrialist R.J. Brand, whose Stargate technology has made interplanetary travel so easy. At the final stop before Earth on Saturn's moon Titan, the shuttle is boarded by Imra Ardeen, cadet in the galaxy-wide law enforcement agency the Science Police. Imra, being from Titan, where telepathy is the norm, picks up on Garth's lustful thoughts, much to that teen's embarrassment. The future superheroes do not seem to be getting off on the right foot. Upon arrival at Metropolis Spaceport, the trio of teens coincidentally disembark just after R.J. Brand. Imra immediately picks up nasty thoughts of a different sort and alerts everyone within earshot that an assassination attempt is about to occur. Three goons whip out their big guns and point them at Brand, but they have no chance to fire. Two weapons rattle their way out of the assassin's hands, lifted away by Rock's magnetism, while Garth's lightning, a legacy of that cruiser crash on Corbal, sizzles and away another gun. Further demonstration of their abilities put the would-be killers on ice while Imra scans their minds for the identity of their employer, but to no avail. Science police show up, just as the teens go their separate ways, but Brand, now attended by his partner Doyle and his assistant Luornu, looks on. Having just witnessed this impromptu demonstration of cooperation from these interplanetary teens, Brand's eyes sparkle. What's going on in that big tycoon head of yours, RJ? In a meeting the following day with the President of the United Planets, the galaxy's new governing body, Brand attempts to sell the idea of financing a symbol to help the UP's ideas of unity and cooperation get off the ground. A collection of brightly uniformed young people working together for peace, for the various beings and species of the galaxy to look up to, to be inspired by. 
All it would take would be to convince the young people in question. Fortunately, things haven't worked out on Earth quite to Imer, Rock, and Garth's expectations. Imer's frustrated by menial duty at Science Police Headquarters. Her skills have gone underappreciated by her superiors. Rock is being pushed hard, too hard it seems, by his manager, and Garth has found himself in prison. All three are visited, perhaps simultaneously, hmm. by Brand's assistant, Luornu. Seems Daddy Warbucks has a proposition for the teens who all seem open to a new opportunity. The three, plus Rock is accompanied by his agent, Cuspin, meet at Brand's office, but in the waiting room, Cuspin's sleazy thoughts are picked out by Imra. Turns out he's been funneling all of Rock's earnings toward his own vast gambling debt. Outed, Cuspin quickly turns on Imra, who's immediately defended by Garth, his fists sparking. Rock sends the sleaze pack in just as they're called into the office to hear Brand's pitch. Surrounded by images of past heroes, Superman, Batman, The Flash, and Wonder Woman, Brand convinces the trio that their actions at the spaceport, saving his life, were truly heroic. The three have the courage, the spirit, form the core of what would be a legion of like-minded youths from all over the galaxy, proving to the member worlds that unity and teamwork, occupied with the greater good, are possible. Buying into the ideals Brand is selling, the three agree to go along for the ride. In a menacing epilogue, it's revealed that the hit on Brand was an inside job. It was Brand's partner Doyle, working for a group of mysterious masters who commissioned the assassination. And the group will try one more time at the upcoming United Planets Summit to be continued in Legionnaires number zero. So I love this issue. It's a great ground floor read done by some of my favorite creative people. Mark Wade, a walking Legion encyclopedia, had come on the book a few issues prior to see the previous continuity out sharing writing duties with Tom McCraw, who'd begun uh, about a year before that. I really like the new spin they've chosen to put on the Legion's beginning. The particular events are the same as previous continuity, the three founding members saving Bran from doom, but there's a new emphasis on the United Planets and the Legion's role in it. Suggestion is planted here that representatives from all the membered worlds will be encouraged to join, uh, eliminating along with the old absurd circus that was the Legion tryout. It'll eliminate some of the Legion's autonomy before it's even born. Uh, this will set up some pretty interesting conflict later in the series. The art is knockout, though sadly the first issue of this new era would be Stuart Immonen's last on the book. And he really helped define the Legion in the early 90s, and I'd be hard-pressed to come up with a time when the team ever looked better. Imminent's Legion was a group of beautiful people inhabiting a particularly dark time. Facial expressions were always a particular strength, and there's some great ones in this issue. Garth's forehead slapping faux pas when Imer catches him ogling, and Bran's twinkling consideration of the future when he's saved by the young hero. Those, those are standout. Again, I have these linked on the blog, so check them out. Now on to Legionnaires number zero. 
This is by the same creative team as Legion of Superheroes number zero, with one exception. Jeffrey Moy is the penciler. This begins a very long association between Moy and the Legion. He'd be the regular penciler on Legionnaires, beginning here, the next issue after number zero is number 19, all the way through number 78, so that's a solid five-year run. It's got to be close to a Legion record. Now, the artists that come to mind when I think of the Legion, I don't know. I don't even think Keith Giffen put in five uninterrupted years. Kurt Swan, maybe? John Fort? Anyway, Moy's gotta be up there. Now, no one would mistake Moy for imminent, totally different styles, but the presence of inker Ron Boyd helps ease the transition between Legion of Superheroes number zero and this issue. Moy's work is more cartoony, every character has a certain agelessness to them. R.J. Brand, despite the white hair and mustache, looks a little older than Rock Crin. Now this could be a knock, and maybe it's why I've heard this entire run of Legion referred to as the Archie Legion, which I don't agree with, but uh, you can see the same sort of thing, this, this agelessness on any of the popular comic-based animated shows a little differentiation between people of different ages. Now this issue, titled Close Encounters, begins with a promo video of the new team introducing each member with a code name. Rock is Cosmic Boy, Imra is Saturn Girl, and Garth is called Live Wire. And they've all, they're all wearing a kind of generic jumpsuit, which will provide the template for their more distinct uniforms a little later. Brand stresses to the slightly embarrassed heroes the importance of the United Planets Assembly. It will be a chance to really sell the concept of the Legion to the UP. Also ruminating on the summit is Doyle and a couple of cronies planning another hit attempt on Brand. Doyle thinks that if they can get it done at the assembly, they'll be able to take out not only Bran, but his new pets, the Legion, as well. The day of the summit, which looks like from one crowd scene, includes Star Trek The Next Generation's Captain Picard. A young lady named Tinya Wazo rushes to give her mother, a delegate from the planet Bigzitil, some apparently important documents. Because she's in a rush, she uses her world's native phasing ability to pass through a huge decorative centerpiece in the chamber, and notices something strange about it. But before she can really process what she's seen, her mother grabs her and berates her for the interruption. Just then, the president of the UP calls the meeting to order, and the first order of business? Introducing the Legion. The three members step out in the new uniforms. These outfits had been seen before. They were used by the teen time dupes in the previous continuity, uh, and they were a great design, probably by Chris Sprouse. The uniforms are all based on a similar template, a wide stripe of one color running down the chest and inseam of the leggings, and another color running from the outer leg up the ribcage, and in some cases covering the shoulder or running through the armpit and down the forearm. The uniform includes a belt and pouches, this was the 90s after all. The uh, buckle had a huge L emblem, a very nice design. Each member had their own color scheme and sometimes an identifying chest emblem. 
but the similar basic design in the uniform, and that's what it really was, a uniform as opposed to the costumes worn by previous versions of the Legion, uh, helped unify the team and helped visually reinforce their mission of galactic unity. The questions from the delegates begin after their introduction as Saturn Girl begins picking up a sense of panic coming from the room. While scanning minds in the crowd, Imra picks up the thoughts of Tinya Wazo about the wires she saw in the decorative globe. Rightly assuming this was a bomb, the Legionnaires jump into action, live wire, kind of impulsively, blows a hole in the roof while Cosmic Boy lifts the bomb through just before it detonates. By the way, the president of the UP and RJ Brand had to be saved from falling roof debris by Brand's assistant Luornu, who can split into three bodies. Imer singles out the two perpetrators and the Legionnaires give chase. They catch up to one in the seedier part of Metropolis and you can tell it's seedy by the trash littering the ground and the storefront sign picturing a lady with three boobs. The other pulls a gun on Imra, but Tinya Wazo appears out of nowhere to distract the would-be killer long enough to get a little zap from Livewire, ending the threat. The three heroes have a quick little powwow and recommend both Tinya and Muornu for membership though to who that recommendation is made is a little unclear at this point. The next day, a five-member legion, Lorne who is called Triad, Tinya goes by Apparition. These names are also holdovers from the previous incarnation of Legionnaires, just like the uniforms. Uh, that This five-member legion is greeted with great applause, while R.J. Brand and the president of the UP squabble over the role the legion is going to play going forward president is ready to send them out for some space mission, but Brand claims they aren't ready yet, and storms out as he refuses to allow the Legion to be used as puppets. Alone, a thoughtful president concocts a plan, and that plan is borne out over the final few pages of the issue as various beings on various worlds receive a UP summons. Science police officer Gim Allen superhero of the planet Xanthu Kid Quantum, someone who's talked about like some science experiment and who's observed running at super speed around a test track, Jenny Ognatz, and a robed being on some craggy world that turns out to be Durla, world of shapeshifters. Also getting a summons is Lyle Norg of Earth. Lyle's summons was delivered by science police officer Kusamano, who's Name would be familiar to longtime Legion fans. And a completely uninterested Quirrell Dox who accepts the message but merely sets it aside. The message that all these people receive is, in essence, a draft notice stating that, per their planets, United Planets membership agreement, they've been selected to represent their world in the Legion of Superheroes. Failure to report to the UP's Earth headquarters will be seen as a breach of treaty. Wow, serious game the president of the UP is playing. It's strange that at this point, Madam President's unnamed. It's got to be an oversight by Wade and McCraw. Anyway, these two issues provide a nice new beginning to the adventures of the, the new Legion. As I said, I like the new spin put on the origin with the kind of political slant 
That'll play out over the course of the first year or so of stories. How this reboot was taken by regular long-time readers of the Legion? I can't say, as I was by no means the seasoned fan I am now. Back at the time of this reboot, I'd, I'd love to hear the opinions of any Legion fan who was reading around this time. Was there shock? Relief after the downbeat, sometimes depressing end of the previous run? I really like the opportunity the reboot provided to tell the stories of the Legion's early days when they first appeared back in 1958 as a Superboy side shtick. The team was fully formed, and it wasn't until many years later that a few background details were filled in. It'll be fun and exciting to see the membership fill out over the next few issues, which I'll be covering over the next few episodes of Reboot Review. For some reporting from the Marvelous Competition, uh, please check out my other third of podcasts, the Shanna Showcase, in which I'm indexing the significant solo appearances of Shanna the She-Devil. All my stuff lives on the blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, where I'm still looking for the time to do that Mark Evanier, Dan Spiegel, Blackhawk post. Anyway, let me know what you think about the Legion, any Legion, by commenting on the blog. There's a link there to Twitter and Tumblr, or by emailing imthegun at gmail.com. My sign-off for this show will be a play on the old Legion cry, LLL, Long Live the Legion. I'm going to change it up a little bit and say, LOL, Live on Legion. So until next time, LOL. LOL.